You're the next internet billionaire, asserted Neil Cavuto at the start of his 1999 Fox television news show. Although I wasn't yet convinced I was destined to be a billionaire, hearing Neil Cavuto say it on air somehow made it more real. Most of Microworks' employees, like many of their Silicon Valley brethren, had bought into the hype that they would soon be millionaires. We were on top of the world and at the peak of the dot-com era. The buzz was that Microworks was onto something really big. Everyone was now just wondering if we could deliver on all the hype. The Internet was the modern-day gold rush, and Microworks was in the thick of it. Of course, as the conceiver-in-chief, I was certain things would go as planned and we would be huge. Even from a young age, I was overly confident of my abilities and eventual success, despite the odds I had overcome to get there. In my mind, it was a foregone conclusion that we would succeed, and along the way, revolutionize what I saw as the backward business model of selling hardware, rather than the benefits that the computer could provide to users. Overnight Upheaval Growing up in a two-parent household in the San Fernando Valley of California, I became independent very early in life. My father was a professional baseball player turned entrepreneur, except that instead of building success in business, he seemed to have a knack for finding ways to struggle. He sold pots and pans, but quit when the company owner raised his prices. He owned a retail Hallmark store, but the store went out of business when the mall burned down and his insurance didn't cover smoke damage. He then bought a pub, which actually did so well that he sold it. So he took the money he had made and bought a disco. Only one problem. He bought a place called Sticky Fingers, complete with an illuminated dance floor long after the 1970s dance craze had ended. Picture the Bee Gees or the movie Staying Alive. The disco had failed a few times before it was my dad's, and even after investing everything the family had, it failed again. Having an MIA father was okay with me in elementary school and even into middle school because I spent most of my waking moments outside school with my friends in the neighborhood. My mother did an amazing job of raising my brother Nat and me, and my memories of early life were the kind you used to see on Ozzy and Harriet. Well, maybe without Ozzy around so much. We lived in a fairly well-to-do suburb called Northridge, which is a bedroom community of Los Angeles and all of my friends lived within a block of our house. Rarely did a day go by when all of us weren't outside playing wiffle ball or touch football on the street directly in front of my house. If it got really hot, as it happens in the San Fernando Valley quite often, we had a pool in the backyard and everyone swam. My biggest worry at the time was how quickly I could get my homework done so I could go back outside. Seriously, if my life had been a movie script, it couldn't have been more perfect. If I had a paternal role model in my early life, it was my grandfather on my mother's side, Leon Schwab. My grandfather ran Schwab's Pharmacy, an institution in Hollywood that served a celebrity clientele. I think he tried to be a stand-in father figure and was probably better at it than my dad. The fact that my grandfather seemed tremendously successful was comforting too, not that I ever expected any less for me. Without a doubt, I idolized his life, his success, and his spirit of invention. Tilly and Leon Schwab were, and are, everything to me, even though they passed away a very long time ago.
As in all too-good-to-be-true stories, my normal childhood began to unravel all at once at age thirteen. That was the year my first girlfriend, Judy Schiff, died suddenly. I was told of her death by way of a hysterical voicemail from her sister. Because she lived out of state, I didn't have the opportunity to attend a funeral and never heard from the family again. It was utterly devastating. We had met at summer camp when I was ten, and we talked every day from that point on. My parents didn't know about her, I believe, but letters flew back and forth, and phone calls were long and intense. She was my best friend, and only real confidant at that time.